Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello and welcome to a Tuesday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanzial. Chris, I got to tell you, this wasn't what I expected in that Nova would go 0-2 last week. But I will say I left Saturday pleasantly surprised. Disappointed because it was a winnable game, but I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, talked about mixed emotions after that one. I really felt they, they should have came away victorious in that. They had several opportunities. Similar to the Penn game, it, it kind of felt that Villanova's opponents just wanted to keep them in the game longer than, than expected, and Villanova had every chance to take advantage of those opportunities and just couldn't do so. Yeah, and I see a lot of people, including myself and, and yourself as well, that were all kind of a little more optimistic because of the way they played. But at the same time, you would still like to see them come out on top there because, again, for the second time in a week, you had every opportunity to win a game. You might probably shouldn't have won, but at the same time, you could have won it. Yeah, I'm not really – I'm usually not a big moral victories kind of guy. But I will say, just considering how that Penn game went, where Nova did not look good, got slapped around by an Ivy League school – future stockbrokers and Wall Street warriors. Just the way that game went down going into Saturday, I was be- my expectations were very low. And then the way that Nova played on Saturday, the whole time they were in it. It was unfortunate because it was one of those winnable games. But at the end of the day, I was thoroughly impressed with their effort. It, it was kind of disappointing though because they did have the chance to win. They couldn't get it done, especially down the stretch. They couldn't make those necessary shots. And then Allen Fieldhouse magic just took over. The fog just took over. But overall, you look at this game, 74-71 result against the number one team in college basketball. No Yudoka Azabuki, so that was probably a very big break because this game probably goes a lot differently if he was around. You look at the way that this game went down. Phil Booth had 29 points, led Nova. Eric Pascal had 17, and then Colin Gillespie added 15 points. The defense, overall, I will say that they did a pretty good job. The Wildcats' effort on that end of the court really kept them in the game, especially in that first half where the offense was very spotty. But you look at the job they did. It took an insane effort between two guys, Diedrich Lawson and LeGerald Vick. Lawson had 28. Vick had 29. They combined for 19 of 30 on the floor. It took them two shooting the lights out, having lots of success to beat Nova. Nova only lost by three on the road at the fog. Everyone else outside of those two, they shot a combined four of 16. Granted, I have some notes on the way that Nova handled defending those guys. 
But I just wanted to get your reaction first on this game, how it went down, and what you saw on Saturday. Start with Kansas first. I mean, you got to give them props for the heroic efforts from Vic and, and Lawson. We've been doing non-con previews for, for, what, three years now? And, like, we always try to highlight one or two guys. And, honestly, I hadn't watched that much Kansas basketball. But, my God, are the Gerald Vic and Mr. Lawson over there. Are they fantastic players? Like they just absolutely lit up Villanova every chance they could. Lawson was hitting everything. Vic was hitting impossible shots. Like there was that one when he was like basically like below the backboard there and just threw up a, a prayer and for, for and it went in for two and that kind of sparked the Kansas run. And Lawson was just having everything go his way. It just absolutely beasting on the boards with twelve boards, twenty eight points. But yeah, on the defensive end, we were going back and forth this during the game. I we, I really wasn't that upset with the defense. Yeah, there was like the occasional missed switch, and yeah, there was the occasional missed assignment, but it wasn't like egregious. Like it wasn't every other possession like we we were used to seeing with these guys sometimes. This was a pretty standard uh, defensive effort that honestly, I don't know if it, it could have been any better. I totally think you have a point because it literally took Lawson to shoot 10 of 15 on the floor. And then it took Vic to go 9 of 15 on the floor to get this done. Like these guys had to have monster games. It took two guys to get really, really hot. Other than that, Nova did a great job on Kansas. There was never a point in the game where it looked like Nova was going to get bulldozed. They were in it all throughout. It was just a matter of when the offense would come. Or how long they could hold. Right, exactly. And you look, kind of felt like this game was going to be a bit of a dogfight in the beginning because Kansas got off to a little run in the beginning and then Villanova followed it up with a double-digit run of their own. And then two big turnovers, back-to-back possessions. I think one. I think they were both traveling calls. One was on Samuels and one was on Gillespie, I think. And then Kansas just used that to get right back into it. For like a five-minute stretch in the, in towards the early half of this game, it seemed that every everything was going Villanova's way. Every call, every shot was going in. It seemed that Kansas had some really bad turnovers on top of it. And like the Kansas faithful were, were getting pretty restless early. Those two turnovers, I felt like, completely changed the game, at least early on. There was a thousand other factors, but early on, those were some key uh, errors there. You look across the board, and we, we chastised them for the Penn game, but Phil Booth playing hero ball, I got to say, didn't work out well. At, at the beginning, but he he really turned a corner in the early uh, late part of the first half and then into the second half. I, I don't know what you have to say about his performance. I thought it was pretty good, all things considered. Yeah, there was a stretch in the first half where Nova was doing the ISO and just trying to force up shots. It just didn't look like Villanova basketball. And you could see Jay Wright's frustration on the bench. Just the way that offense really brought me back to the way the Penn game went in which it's one pass, and then one guy's going to try to back down their defender all the way from the three-point line, and either this guy's going to pivot four times before forcing up a shot, or it's going to go in, It's gonna, the tough shot's going to go in, or it's going to be a turnover. And uh, for about six minutes, I was losing my mind because it, it was right after when Nova got back into the game after giving up that early run to Kansas to start, and they're right back in it. They had a chance to lead. And then it was just hero ball between the seniors. But then after a couple timeouts, Nova started to readjust. And towards the end of the first half, it really looked crisp and clean. They were swinging the ball around, getting some movement, getting way better looks than just forcing up post-ups or dumb shots. I was content. But for six minutes, I was not a big fan of Phil Booth and Eric Pascal. 
And I'm no. saying six, I don't know if it was actually six minutes, but it, it felt there was this window in the first half. Yeah, no, I, I know what you're talking about. Their hero ball tendencies it made us believe that Kansas was like one run away from just completely blowing the doors off this game. And obviously that wasn't the case, and Villanova was able to adjust and hang in there. But we kept saying, like, if they keep this up, this is gonna this is gonna get ugly real quick. And luckily they were able they were able to figure it out. Phil Booth obviously turning on in the second half. He had that uh, nice stretch toward the end of the game there. He had that big time dunk, Cal Bridges style, one arm from from the foul line type stuff. And it, it was good to see, you know, him come off the dribble drive like that. You really haven't seen him beat his man on the drives to the basket very often this season. But to see that, that was that was pretty encouraging. I mean, he was only he was pretty much the only one hitting threes throughout the game. I mean, Pascal went two of three, but he was the only one really shooting threes and hitting them. And I got to say, Gillespie, as good of a game he had against Penn, and I thought he had a decent game against Kansas, but he had some opportunities, man, from beyond the arc that he just had to hit. If he hits like one or two threes, the whole complexion of that game changes. And there were a couple in there where it was like Villanova could have really used one, especially to take like a lead late and or at least get it close, closer, <laughs> cut into that lead. And he just flat out bricked them. And it, it was kind of a shame because he had such a good performance against Penn. Yeah, he was ice cold from the three-point line. But overall, you know, he's getting better. This wasn't exactly one of his greatest shooting performances, one of seven from deep. But... He's able to be a guy that can make it from the free throw line. He can do a little bit of everything, but I have to give Phil Booth props for just taking over in the second half. Just to put things in perspective, he scored 21 of his 29 points in the second half alone, shot 8 of 14. The man was on a mission in the second half, and I know that Booth and his shot selection and his hero ball has gotten criticism but he was really just killing it in the second half. That dunk that he had, that highlight dunk, was amazing. Fortunately, it came when it was just too late, and the game was virtually decided by then. And the other thing I will say about Colin Gillespie, he's got a great, if you need to miss a free throw, he's your guy. He's your guy for that. <laughs> yeah, that was, as, that was as good as it could have gotten. And, I mean, there was some debate on Twitter. I don't know. I saw a few people upset that, like, the – Bay in the corner getting fouled. That should have been called a foul. I, I don't know what your opinion on it was. I thought it was a fine no call. I really had no issues with it. It's just a shame he rolled his his ankle because if he stayed upright, he had a shot. <laughs> Granted, it would have been like Phil Booth's shot against Penn at the end of the game, you know, f- fading away in the corner, but it, at least it would have been a shot. I thought that there should have been a foul. I'm not going to lie. But maybe <sighs> also, see, my thing it was in real time, you couldn't tell because it was like tucked in the corner, like by the infographic and then the bench. But then in slow-mo, every, everything in slow-mo looks like a battery assault. So you can't really tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know. I felt like B- Billis was saying like it was incidental contact. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? Like, isn't there con- incidental contact on every foul? I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I was going to say, I, yeah, I, I was I, gonna say I, there are many fouls that get whistled, even though it's incidental contact. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like, all right. I, I get it why they didn't call it. It, it would have been like really ticky-tacky, I, I guess. I, I really had no issue with it. At that point, Villanova had plenty of opportunities to, to have gotten back into the game. And to equal, uh, milk one more would have been uh, a little egregious there. But It was just so unfortunate because they were right there, especially in the second half. They were right there. 
they just couldn't there was one turning moment especially that i totally remember and it was when dcr got that offensive rebound with about a, less than two minutes or a minute and a half to go and nova is down and right there on the left wing you have colin gillespie wide open calling for ball and dcr just doesn't see him pivot 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 goes for the force jump hook and i think that that has been in a nutshell in one play nova's offense characterized in all of its losses just forcing shots not seeing the open guy i get it heat of the moment but oh man I was staring at Colin Gillespie the whole time, and I was like, please pass him the ball. Please just give him the ball. We just criticized his poor shooting performance. I would have rather had Colin Gillespie shoot another open three than DCR taking a two, fading away from the basket. And I don't know if the three would have tied it. I think it would have tied it at that point. So, like, the two really wasn't – I mean, obviously it would have cut into the lead a bit, but, like, at that point, I really didn't want to get into a big free throw battle in Kansas at that, at that point, but – yeah, I would have rather had him kick it out to Gillespie for the wide open three. And yeah, you're you're right. That does perfectly encapsulate the uh, the offense there. Great play, you know, great play by DCR to get the offensive rebound. Great position, you know. He had 11 on the day, so he was obviously doing pretty well on the boards, especially with Lawson down there. But yeah, he he makes a great play, but then very indecisive with the ball. He wasn't able to identify the open guy and wasn't able to give him a, an open shot and instead takes a four shot that really wasn't needed at the time. And I, I don't know what it was. I, I think it, it, whether, yeah, it was he the moment of panicking or maybe it was just the fact that, you know, he just hasn't shot the ball at all, all game. And I, I saw, and me and you have been discussing this all, uh, all day. There were several times where Villanova would run a play and he would do a little slip screen or a roll to the basket and, and he was open and no one would find him. That, that's kind of unfortunate because I felt like they had an opportunity to exploit that weakness in Kansas. They were letting them roll to the basket open and they just, they weren't finding them. And I, I felt that they would hack up a bad shot or, you know, just let the clock run down some more and pass the ball around and try to find another shot. But I, I feel like they should try and give him the ball on these slip screens and these, on these rolls to the basket because I, he, it's open, it's there. Yeah, as I told Chris Lane on Twitter, and I've personally felt all throughout the season so far, all through the 12 games that Nova has played, there's been many instances where DCR is wide open as the role man off a pick. And I guess it's just not Nova's style to do the PNR, but he has been wide open, cutting to the basket. And if only, whether it's Phil Booth or Gillespie, who's running it off the screen, could just see him or look to find him because he is open and that could diversify the attack so much more but unfortunately he just doesn't get seen at all or he you know he just doesn't get the love he doesn't get the ball and said they'll probably shoot the three or they'll pass somewhere else and just before we move on i just want to say that i did a little stat check and the instance that i was talking about in which DCR grabbed the offensive rebound and then went for the jumper that just missed everything. Uh, that was with 2.32 to go in the game, and the score was 61-58 Kansas at that time. And right after that miss, Kansas went back and got a layup from Devin Dotson to make it a five-point game. And then Nova tried again, went empty, and then Kansas got a couple free throws from Dotson again to make it a seven-point game, and from there they just couldn't catch up. Chris, look, 
Two losses again in a row. Yeah. Second time this season, back to back. We have one more non-con game left that we are going to preview for next time because that game isn't until Saturday. But I just wanted to I just want to ask you, get what you feel is your pulse on this team because people are worrying again. Nova fell out of the polls. I don't know if you saw, but they're no longer in the top 25. They're in, they have been relegated to the receiving vote section. Marquette is now the only Big East team repping the conference in the top 25. They've lost back-to-backs yet again. Eight and four overall. They could go nine and four or go eight and five, depending on what happens after this weekend. I need to know where do you think this team is going into Big East play? Do you think they're going to be fine? Are you optimistic, especially when you see the tough effort that Nova gave against Kansas in the fog? Or are you like, I think we're going to see more of the same? I think we're going to see more struggles. I think this is just the beginning of what what's to come in such a grinded out conference. When you look around, you see the other nine teams. It's looking like it's going to be a dogfight this year. Yeah, really. For me, it just depends on the day. Like, like, like I said to, to you before, uh, last episode, beginning of the week, last week, I, I was convinced they they could go into Kansas and win. But then they lose to Penn after a pitiful performance there, despite only losing by three. And then I'm like, oh well, yep, that's it. Go, good try, guys. You guys aren't going to win in Kansas. It, it's just so day to day with this team, and it, it's very, it's a very volatile team. But with that being said, they do have the tendency, as we've seen in the non-con game so far, to play up to competition like they do against a Florida State or a Kansas in games that you wouldn't expect them to. But then they also have the tendency to play down the competition where you let, you let St. Joe's call into a game and then you get struggle against Penn and end up losing to them. It's kind of hard to gauge this team. It's, it's going to be as you know, day-to-day with, with this uh, feeling about this team as there ever was just because of how volatile it is. You just don't know which team you're getting. I do feel confident in, in Jay Wright and the rest of the squad to kind of piece it together for Big East play. I don't think they're going to go 14-4 like we were predicting at the beginning of the year, but I do feel that they will be comp- competing for you know the Big East regular season crown. Will they win it? I, as of right now, I'd say no, but I do feel that we'll get better performances as the season goes along. I just I haven't seen anything to you know completely change my mind and be like yep you know this team's gonna go into the biggies play do the same old same old and come out as one of the top two seeds in that conference but i i do as as a whole i do feel confident in them i trust the process i guess that jay wright has going but at the same time i'm probably more skeptical than i have been in the past yeah i know you never know with this team it's been up and down it's been random each day is a different team, it seems like, or each game has been a different team, it seems like. But if I'm going to be flat out honest, I am more than optimistic for Big East play. If you look at this past game, there were two glaring issues that Nova had really big problems with in its losses and earlier in the year, and that was defense and turnovers. Now, if you look at the box score, Kansas shooting 50%, that's not hot. That's not cute. But if you look at the distribution, it took two guys heating up, having great games. Granted, I thought Nova should have doubled Lawson more because when they did, he had a hard time. LeGerald Vick was just making insane shots, falling down at times. The rest of the team, though, only shot 4 of 16, 25%. The defensive effort was not bad. It was probably, honestly, 
all things considered, I thought it was one of their finer performances compared to when you look at the other games and who they were playing up against. Because they let Morgan State do what they wanted. They let Penn do what they wanted. But they didn't make it easy for Kansas. It was just a matter of two guys getting hot. And the other thing, too, going back to the second point, turnovers. Nova had nine turnovers in the game. And seven of those came in the first half when it, honestly, they weren't playing as well as they did in the second half. As we mentioned, there was that moment where they just went cold. They had a drought. Couldn't keep up with Kansas. But they really minimized the turnovers. And to do that in a hostile environment like Allen Fieldhouse in the fog, not an easy place to play, that's a great sign because we're going to be the hottest ticket when we go play at Providence, when we go to Seton Hall, when we go to St. John's, when we go to Marquette. They got a circle. And if we can play like we did on Saturday, granted, make a few adjustments so we come out on the winning side of things, we're going to be fine. And I'm still very confident in this team going on a Big East play. If you asked me after the Michigan and Furman losses, I would have not said the same thing. But now, digesting 12 games in, I still think Nova's going to be in great shape for Big East play. Yeah, man, I, I hope you're right. I really do. I, I do think that this performance does show that they are they're coming as close as to turning the corner as they can. But like, I just don't want to see them go out there and like lay a dud against like DePaul. Like or lay a dud at home against Seton Hall. Like, like I feel that they are very prone to that, but then they can go on the road against Providence and probably steal one there. I I, I don't know. It's so it's so fifty fifty with them right now. It's it's kind of scary because I just you just don't know which team you're gonna get. But with this game this weekend with UConn, hopefully they're able to kind of right the ship a bit, you know, and stay more consistent. But like Jay says. He loves he loves the Big East and loves the Big East play. So if he can get his guys ready for that and put out consistent performances, they'll, they'll be fine. With this team right now, it's just more about consistency and finding a consistent game. And right now it's not consistent. It's one day you're losing the pen, and the next day you're hanging in tough against Kansas against in the fog. So hopefully in the Big East, once the Big East starts up, it's all consistent and consistently good. And I do think they have the – propensity to do that it's just right now it's a little tough to say that's the beauty of it we're just gonna have to wait and see we're gonna see how it plays out i do think that this game on saturday will be a must win for confidence morale purposes and also it would be a lot better to snag this against a i don't want to say you know a well-known or quote-unquote big name opponent but it's a recognizable name and all things considered, you look at Nova's non-con schedule, we can't afford another loss to a notable opponent, or so to say. Because I think UConn will be an NCAA tournament team. They're probably not going to be seated ultra high, but the fact that they probably will be a tournament team, we can't lose this one. Before we move on to women's basketball, what do you, you think of Kansas? <laughs> I mean, obviously Vic and Lawson had their days, but I mean, was Azubuki that much missing him? Was Is it? that much of a difference because man they got no depth it feels like i've now seen them twice and it's i guess before and after Azubuki. now when i first saw them it was in the nit tip off back in brooklyn and Azubuki did play and it was against marquette and i'll be honest when i watched that game i was more impressed with Diedrich lawson it was at that moment I realized, wow, this guy is filthy. Like, yeah, everyone talks about Azubuki and he's his big boy, blah, blah, blah. But if he gets into foul trouble, 
he's he's nothing. And he, the way he plays, because he's so big and you know he tends to be over aggressive. And I feel like Nova would have been able to bait him into getting into foul trouble early. But at when I saw them play Marquette, I was like, wow, this Lawson guy, insane. I don't know if this is going to sustain, but he's going to be some guy to watch for when Nova plays him. And surely enough, it did sustain. He's been a double-double machine. He had another one against Nova. Big, big game. He is fantastic. With Vic, he's fantastic too. Like I said, he listened to the podcast, so that means he had to have a big game because I said he wasn't that good going into the season. But like you said, it's a two-headed monster. I think Azubuki does make a bigger deal for them. He would have added an interior defensive element to it. They could have had Marcus Garrett come off the bench. He's a big boy. Would have gotten them a ton of boards, a bunch of second-chance points. I think, honestly, he would have changed the complexity of the game. I don't know about you, but honestly, I will say to wrap everything up, this is not the number one team in basketball. Yeah, they they certainly didn't look like it. You would think that the number one team in basketball would have more than two guys basically doing everything. I mean, I thought Lightfoot, like, I I don't know. I feel like that's kind of a familiar name for anybody who's kind of watched Kansas over the past couple of years. Like, Mitch Lightfoot, I thought, would be uh, more of a factor, at least off the bench, but he was basically a non-factor, as was pretty much everybody else outside of guys named Vic and Lawson. I mean, Dotson had a decent game. He was the only other scorer in double digits, but, like, like, I mean, I don't know, man. Like, Azubuki's really good, but even with him, like, I don't know. I feel that Duke could probably knock him off. I feel that they're probably number one right now. But if, if Azubuki is is out, how is, is he expected to be out much longer? Like, what, what's his injury status? Till January. Till January? I mean, I guess if they get him back for conference play, I guess they could kind of figure it out from there. But, I mean, obviously if you have your two big guys eaten, but, like, if Vic has an off night, like, who's who's going to score from the guard position? That's that's pretty much uh, – that's, that's a pretty big question mark, I'd say, no. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think it's a valid one just because Quentin Grimes, if you look at him, he did nothing against Nova. He only had one point, and I think – that Kansas was looking at him to be that guy, especially after he dropped 21 against Michigan State to start the year. Dotson, he can score, but he's honestly more of a defender, and the job that he did on Gillespie was very good. Uh, he held Gillespie to just 5-14 on the floor, 1-7 for seven from deep. Granted, he let him open a couple of times, but Gillespie couldn't cash in. But, yeah, there aren't really more prolific scorers outside of Lawson, who is just a machine inside. And then Vic, who adds that over-the-top perimeter threat, but one that can also take it inside and drive. Other than that, that's it. Talent-wise, I'd still say they're probably Elite Eight, Final Four, worthy. Oh, yeah, I think they're definitely top 10 right now. I would say probably anywhere from 7 through 9, but they're definitely not going to be number one come March. They'll probably win the Big 12 as usual, though. (laughs) That's just how it goes over there. Also, gotta say, props to the Kansas fans. That that place is uh, that place is lit. It looked, yeah, it looked wild. It looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, I saw there was like the one video before the game started, and you know, it 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 is pretty nice over there. 
nice arena, nice atmosphere, fantastic atmosphere, I should say. Now we're going to pivot over to the women's side of things. Fortunately, they were able to get a big win on Saturday. They were able to knock down the Georgia Bulldogs. It was a key non-con game. Unfortunately, the Bulldogs weren't ranked for this one, but they were ranked earlier in the season. But it was a, a much-needed win for the Lady Cats. They came out on top, 62-56 to 56 at home. Kelly Jacob was back on her grind, scoring a team-high 20 points, 7 for 10 on the floor. Also grabbed 7 rebounds. Adriana Hahn had 11 points. And then you look at Georgia. They were led by Paul and Connolly, who combined for 31 points. Nova was able to grab the lead from the get-go. Took an eight-point lead to at the half, 31 to 23. But then the Bulldogs just came charging right in, especially down the stretch. What does this win mean? How what did you take away from this? Well, as you mentioned, it's a win against a formerly ranked team. So that definitely helps toward the NCAA tournament bid there. And as a, as a team, what I take away from this is that they shot pretty damn well. 23 of 52 from the field and 9 of 21 from beyond the arc. And that's exactly what the doctor ordered against a pretty good Georgia team. You got you had to shoot well. Shooting 9 of 21 from beyond the arc will, that will certainly do it for you. With, you know, Jaycott went 3 of 4. Jana Tucker 2 of 5. Grace Stant went 2 of 5. So everyone was able to hit their threes, it seemed that seemed like and like you said jacob putting up seven boards too that's that's pretty impressive especially considering you know villanova really only has one or two people on a good day that can really uh, rebound the ball and then defensively look at the box score for georgia one of eight from beyond the arc they didn't hit a single three in the first half and when villanova's making their threes and their opponents are not making threes that's exactly what you need there and yeah georgia did go 23 of 53 from from the field and obviously that's where they made basically all their killing. But at the same time, I'd rather give up twos and threes. And the three-point defense was on point the other night. And it, it played into the favor of Villanova. That's that's for sure. Definitely, definitely. Jaycott, you know, she had a great start to the season, dominated. Seems like she was just dropping big game after big game to start. Thank God. Then she went a little cold in the middle of big five play. See her come back. Top off non-com play with a nice 20-point bucket, 7 for 10 on the floor, 3 for 4 from deep. How good is it to see her back in her groove again? It's pretty nice because the rest of the team, I mean, I know I was saying that, you know, the rest of the team was kind of hitting threes, but, I mean, the volume wasn't there. I mean, Adriana Hahn was the only one to eclipse double digits, so you really needed a strong performance from somebody out there. And it seems that Villanova gets one of them from, from one of the big th- three each night, whether it be Jake Hahn or Tucker. And, you know, I guess you could throw in Gadeka there as well. So, yeah, you, you really need somebody to step up in a game like this and against a team that was formerly ranked and is considered a generally pretty good. And Jacob was able to rise to the occasion at the Finn, and Philadelphia uh, has a nice little win on their resume. Yeah, and I just want to give a shout-out to Emily Esposito. Came in off the bench, added eight points, two boards, 18 minutes of play, four or five on the floor seemed like Georgia was doing a good job of cutting off the inside and just frustrating opponents. You look at Stant, you look at Gadeka, you look at Herlihy, they had a tough time inside. But for Esposito to come in towards the end of the rotation, she might be asking for a few more minutes there, honestly, with the way she played. Yeah, for sure. And I, I kind of feel that the Herlihy's, you know, we, we've been mentioning them for all of last year and into this year, 
I mean, they've had a little bit of a rough stretch. I mean, Bridget only went one of five from the field the other day, uh, one of three from beyond the arc, good for five points. Meanwhile, Brianna, in 16 minutes of action, didn't score once. Granted, she did grab three offensive rebounds, which is something Villanova definitely needed, but she wasn't able to uh, put any points on the stat sheet there. So, yeah, if Emily Esposito was going to go in there and, and drop eight points, and you might as well keep playing her. Because if the Hurley Heats are going to, you know, give you good defense and give you some offensive and defensive rebounding, you're going to need the scoring from someone else off the bench. And it looks like Esposito could potentially fill that role. Yeah, we're going to have to wait and see. I know Harry Pratt is going to have a long time to think about this, mull over his rotation, see if she's warranting a few more minutes. But she played pretty solid off the bench in her role, did what she could do. Nova doesn't have a game until December 29th against Butler. So they got a long, long time before they go ahead. But I just want to talk about how great this is of a win for the Cats going into Biggie's play to top off non-comp play with an 8-2 and record, undefeated at home, and you close it out with a Power 5 opponent win. Can't ask for more. Can't ask for more. Well, it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop open the mailbag, and answer your questions that you, the listeners, have sent in to us, tweeted at us. As always, you can tweet us at pod. Ask us anything, and we'll, we're going to talk about it on the show. we got a few in here. So, Chris, you ready? Let's do it. Okay, first one is from SNNJQ, Jerry Quinn. Number one, he wants to know, when did you feel that we had a chance to win the game? I'll be honest, I had a feeling when the first half, when we went into the half, just down by two, and then in the second half, Nova got ahead for a little bit. And just the way that the game was so close, you knew that Nova was just one run away from either taking over or just run run away from being back in the game. It was never really in doubt. That it, you know, it wasn't ugly. We weren't getting beaten down by double digits. It was all sustainable. It was all doable as long as that game stayed close and Nova wasn't turning the ball over. Yeah, it kind of took my <laughs> my answer. Uh, I, I agree. The end of the first half, you know, despite giving up two free throws at the end there, uh, the fact that Kansas hadn't pulled away yet, and the fact that it seemed that Villanova was going to go punch for punch with them, I had a feeling that they were going to stay stay in it in the second half. And I thought, you know, only down a basket on the road and after the way that offense looked for the first half of the first half, uh, I was I was pretty impressed with them. And I, I felt that right then and there. I was like, all right, they, they have a shot. They have a damn good shot. And they should hopefully, if they can hit some threes, like they, they, they have done in the past, they'll be okay. But they just weren't able to. Second question. Can we really expect to win with zero bench points? The answer is no. And the long answer is definitely not. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't win like that. And it was it's kind of a little bit of a upsetting to see uh, Samuels throw up a dud there 0 for 3. I mean, I thought he I thought he played all right, like, you know, doing his you know usual going – strong for the boards and all that. And I thought some of his threes were, you know, they had, they were open shots. You just got to knock them down. And yeah, so between Samuels and then Cremo doing, didn't even take a shot, which, you know, I really would have liked to have seen him take one three because outside of Phil Booth, nobody was hitting threes the other night or the other day. So uh, yeah, he really needed some bench production there. And you can chalk that up to, you know, Samuels playing bad. Uh, Cremo not even doing anything. Swider playing very limited minutes. He took one shot and it was ugly. And uh, yeah, you, you really need your bench guys to step up in a game like that. And 
just uh, yeah, they all laid duds. Yeah, you look at winners, you look at champions. They had great depth. They had great bench play to go twenty nine minutes of reserve action and not get a single point against the number one team in college of basketball. It would have it would have been nice to win, and it was cool that it was pretty doable, and that it was close. But if any of those three guys just made a couple of baskets, that could have been the difference right there. His third question is, was the Phil Booth dunk in the second half as good as the Mikhail Bridges dunk against Gonzaga last year? Chris, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Bridges one just because it, it led to a win. And, you know, I, with the loss, unfortunate, it's unfortunate because that highlight might get lost to history with Phil Booth. But hopefully we can see him do it in the Big East play and potentially into the Big East tournament and, and into an NCAA tournament run. I really hope so. And I hope he can do it again, but I'm, I'm a bigger fan of the Bridges dunk. Yeah, no doubt the Bridges dunk because, like you said, it was a double feature, double highlight. It was just, I remember being there watching that play, being absolutely shaken up that I wanted to go out onto the corner and call timeout because it was just that great. It was, I have, it really just encapsulated his whole career of it being a two way threat. And that play just, what? I'm just thinking about it right now. I'm, Totally mystified by it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it, it seemed that dunk seemed to have caught like literally everybody's attention, whether it be it was because, you know, just Kelbridge just was a relatively unknown at the time. That dunk really got everybody all hyped up and whatever. Meanwhile, the Phil Booth dunk, while as exciting as it was and while it was great of a play as it was, I mean, I, I feel like everybody's kind of familiar with them at this point in the game. And I, I feel that since everybody knows what he's about, just wasn't as impressive. And especially, you got to also consider the game situation too. I mean, it, it obviously cut into the lead, but by then, I think you had mentioned earlier, the game was kind of pretty much decided at that point. Yeah, but yeah, I don't even think it's just about like, you know, everyone knowing Phil Booth for being the, the championship guy or being the old man on the team. I think it was just a matter of game situation. And I just hope that that means he's going to bring it out more, that Phil Booth more in future games. Cause that, I did not know he had that in him. No, neither did I, especially considering, you know, he had the knee injury just a couple years ago. Yeah, totally not scared to take flight. Jerry's last question is Is UConn a must win game to make the NCAA tournament March Madness? I think yes, just because it would be another marquee name to add to the resume. You never know how Biggie's play is going to go, you never know how the Committee's going to view the Big East as a whole this year. Right now, it's looking a lot better than what was previously thought. Just looking around at all the marquee wins around the conference between Marquette and Wisconsin, Seton Hall down in Kentucky at the Garden. You never know how the committee's going to view them. I don't think there's going to be as many bids to go out this year compared to last year and the year before that. So right now, we need to just pile it up as any way best we can. Enough with the quote-unquote good losses. Let's get a good win on Saturday. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I, I wouldn't say it's a must-win, though, because you can obviously do damage in Big East play. You have a whole, basically a whole half of your schedule to play still. It's not a must-win. It's not if they lose this, that's it, goodbye NCAA tournament. But at the same time, it, it would be a, it would start to look a little bit bleak because then you start to then you start to get worried if they can even you know, really do anything in the Big East at that point. But so it's not a must win, but it, it would be a, a really nice win to add to the resume. Yes. 
This next question is from Chris Lane. Why do you still let noted J Wright hater Chris Lane trademark? Still express opinions on your website. All I got to say is, uh, the, honestly, the more Chris Lane, the merrier. I think sometimes people need reality check. <laughs> he's got good takes. He's got good takes on Twitter. He fights. He He's a defender of the truth. Yeah, he fights the good fight. I tend to agree with him pretty much on everything he says. So keep keep making the takes. We, we like him. And Chris Lane's still out on Twitter. Yeah. So And the site. And the site. And the site, yeah. And he apparently hates Jay Wright, so he's still allowed to see the good graces of the Villanova fan base. So he is Team JQ. He is Team JQ. <laughs> this next question is, uh, I guess, on the same vein, similar topic. This is from Matt Gregory, the former View Hoops photographer, aka the Life Aquatic. Please discuss whether Baker Dunleavy and Ashley Howard were true keys to Villanova's success. It's very clear that Jay is a fraud. Uh. Whew. <laughs> you know, system I, coach. I don't think I could say anything negative about Baker and Ashley Howard because I was a very big fan of the both of them. I I knew Ashley Howard a little more than Baker, so I'm certainly biased. But uh, what if it wasn't them? What if it wasn't that they were the true keys? What if Henry Lowe was the true key? No longer on the staff. Now look what happened. Yeah, but that yeah, yeah. I guess I guess that's it. Yeah, that's it. You gotta get him back on the staff. Yeah, yeah what if Jay Wright what if Jay Wright does suffer from uh, Mike Holmgren syndrome where he's only as strong as his assistants, but you know, as a standalone low coach, still pretty good. But you know, his assistants prop him up into Hall of Fame territory. I think there's something that he misses from Henry Lowe that whoever took over his spot just, it just <laughs> isn't the same. Just isn't the same. Well, Daryl took over a spot, didn't he? I don't know if Henry Lowe had that position, but I would think so. Or at least, you know, he filled the void. So are you saying Daryl Reynolds is bad luck, Eugene? No, End because of the he, podcast, has he, has Reynolds? he has a championship ring. Yeah, but, but look at them now. Eugene, he's on the coaching staff. Yeah, but there were other changes. Okay, okay. All right, all right. That's what you say. You know, you know, there's no Daryl Reynolds slander allowed on this podcast. Oh, of course not. Never, never, never. never. And if someone Darryl. tweeted something negative about Daryl, oh, you bet, you bet we're going in. You bet we're looking at the IP address. <laughs> where we're about to go in. We're gonna set. We're gonna talk about it in person. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll uh, we'll dedox that person, right? Is that is that the right word? Dedox. Yep, D-dox. yep that's, that's it. Yeah, yeah. All right. This last one is from Sam Soul who wants us to talk about the 2019 commit class roster for the new year and next season outlook. Sam just loves Sam's really looking forward to the future. Uh, oh, man. man, it's, it's tough because we went from, if we're going <laughs> to, I don't want to say we're, we're making a mistake by any means, because it's still very early in these young guys careers. And it's, you know, there's no way to fully judge them on just a semester of basketball, but I couldn't. Whenever this this question came up last year about this incoming class this year, I was ready to talk about it all the time. I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be you know the best class ever. They're gonna be better than the '09 squad that or the '09 freshman class that came in that was supposed to be like the best ever under Jay Wright. This 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 squad is gonna be a lot better. And now you have the '19 squad, who is also super loaded, very talented, super stacked." But now I, I'm kind of afraid to talk them up a lot because I don't want to just create this image for myself. And then when they don't live up to that image, I'm going to be ultra sad. Sort of like how you did this year. 
Uh, exactly how I did this year. <laughs> oh, no, I did the same thing, too. I think we all did. Obviously, the rankings say this is going to be a great class, so you can be hyped on that. But let's if this year is any, it teaches you anything, let's just keep calm on the freshmen and uh, just let them do their thing <laughs> because the last thing we want to do is get hyped on someone who may or may not play five minutes a night. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. Like right now, I could go on and on about Antoine and all these human highlight real plays, and then how Eric Dixon is going to be a more athletic Chris Jenkins. He's looking. He just seems to get better and better, and it seems like every time he gets out, he's just new and improved. Justin Moore is an exciting combo guard, and then of course you have JRE, who's just a beast that we stole right out of Kansas's backyard. You can go on and on about these guys. I'm not going to do it this year. I'm not going to jinx them. Yeah, we, we still got a whole half of uh, this year left, so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about them. We'll, we'll worry about the freshmen this year. In terms of next season outlook, very early prediction, Elite Eight or more. Really? That's great. <laughs> <laughs> As bold. <laughs> You're expecting some big jumps there, my friend. I'm expecting big jumps, and uh, yeah. We're just going to leave it at that because I almost I almost caught myself doing the thing that I said I wouldn't do in hyping up next year's recruiting class. I, I think you did just exactly that. So Yes. yes. Yeah. I don't even know if this, this team can even beat UConn on Saturday. So let, let's worry about let's worry about UConn. Well, I'm pretty I'm pretty hyped for this UConn game and I'm pretty positive. I think that they should take care of business, but we're gonna talk about that next time. But for now, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podomatic. You have many, many options. Also, check back at VUHoops.com. We're just pumping out content left and right. We got, we got some good things coming out from now until UConn to hold you over f- during this long wait. Also, follow the website on social media at VUHoops, and that's good for Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at Repay 5 And you can follow me, Chris Stanziel, at The Stance Man on Twitter. Nova Nation, have a happy Tuesday. Hopefully this day will go a lot smoother than both of those losses did last week. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.